Let us pray. Direct us, O Lord, in all our doings with thy most gracious favor, and further us with thy continual help, that in all our works, begun, continued, and ending in thee, we may glorify thy holy name, and finally by thy mercy obtain everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. One of Thomas Cranmer's great colleagues there that I never tire of, of praying. <clears throat> I love our colleagues. Totally on the side and nothing to do with the class, but you know, they, they, they called it the colleagues of Thomas Cranmer. Not that he wrote every college in our prayer book, although he did write about 80% of them, but these are the, these are the colleagues that he, that he included in the prayer book. So uh, it just thrills me. I don't know about you, it thrills me to know that we're praying these colleagues that have been prayed by Christians for, for some of them come from the medieval church that he included in, in the prayer book. So uh, have been included in have been prayed by Christians down through the centuries, through at least the 16th century and, and some even er, earlier than that. One of the classes I want to do in the near future is uh, a history of our liturgy, a little bit more about where our liturgy came together uh, and, and, and what, what the meaning behind certain segments of our liturgy are. So and that, that's coming. I'll just give you a heads up on that. Now, as far as this particular class is, is uh, concerned, I've entitled uh, The Objectivity and Subjectivity of the Christian Faith, and I know that sounds terribly boring, but, it, but it's, it's an important topic uh, to me uh, uh, because uh, there was something that I said uh, not long ago that, uh, that apparently ran against the grain of what some, some people uh, think in terms of sharing our Christian faith. Uh, that uh, not that they were vehemently disagreeing or angry, but it just piqued their curiosity and wanted me to talk about uh, a little bit more. Uh, and wh- what I said uh, was that, uh, what did I say? I said, I said that skeptics, uh, unbelievers, are never or at least seldom converted uh, by hearing how much Jesus has meant to our lives or by saying that a skeptic is seldom uh, converted by hearing how much Jesus has helped me in any particular one area uh, of, of my life. I, I think it's important that we talk about it, and I want to talk more about uh, what, I, what I meant by that because it is, it is important that we should be that we should be uh, equipped to share our Christian faith. You know, skeptics don't generally come up to us at cocktail parties or the golf course anywhere else and say, like the jailer, you know, in Acts chapter 16, the jailer comes up to Paul and Silas says, what must I do to be saved? You know, you, you, typically you're not going to get a skeptic or an agnostic to come up to you. I wish they would, but uh, that's, that's generally not the case. Uh, and I'm, I'm speak- so let, let me say also I am speaking this morning as a, as a late convert, as I might have mentioned in the sermon, I think that, that not, not long after I was converted in, in, to the Christian faith, if you remember I said that, I, listen, I was older than Andrew Pearson before I was converted to Christianity. Uh, so in, in some ways, I, I, I kind of have a heart for, for skeptics and agnostics. And when I say agnostics, I'm telling the atheist. There's a difference, of course. You know, agnostic just says, I don't know. Let's just leave it that way and no one can ever know. So let's just not try to make something sure that we don't know, that we'll never know for sure. So I, I speak, but, but these kinds of people are seldom uh, converted uh, by hearing how much Jesus 
uh, means to me. What a difference he's made uh, in, in your life. All that by way of introduction, because it really brings up the, the, this, this whole thing about the objectivity versus the subjectivity of Christian faith. Now, notice I'm not, I didn't say the right and the wrong side of Christian faith. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that there are two different sides of Christianity, very broadly speaking, uh, the objective side and then there's the subjective side. So just to be sure we're on the same page, by objectivity, uh, I mean, I'm talking about objective truth. Uh, objective truth uh, deals with uh, what is inarguably uh, the fact. Three and three is nine, and that's an objective truth. You may not agree with it. What what I say? <clears throat> I'm sorry. <clears throat> you see what I mean? You got to be careful. Oh Lordy. Uh, three times three is nine. Isn't that, isn't that right? What year is it? 2012. That's three times three is nine. That that's objective truth. Now you may not agree with it, but uh, but and I love Ed, Edward Salmon's quip when he said that that we can vote on the sex of a rabbit, but the vote won't change the truth. Uh, and and I, I, I've always used that. Now, that's objective truth. The rabbit is what it is. Subjective truth, on the other hand, is what is true for you. You know, I, I think that Bermuda green is my favorite color. You say, well, that's, well, that's true for me, but... You, 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 may, you may say, no, I like, uh, I like sky blue, and, that, and, that's, uh, and that's, uh, that's, that's your truth. And I know I, that I have I talked about these kinds of things, but uh, long before I was an adult, I used to hear all this talk about uh, the objective truth, religious, objective religious truth. And I think that what I most vividly uh, remember is once attending a funeral, uh, and, and this was before my conversion, and... Just like 90% of the funerals you attend, you will hear John 14 being read. You know, the passage which says, uh, Let your hearts, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you I go to prepare a place for you? And I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again and take you to, take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way I'm going. Thomas said, Lord, no, we do not know where you are going. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And in this, well, in the Bible, in many, in diverse ways, Jesus claimed uh, to be the way, the truth. He didn't point us to the truth. He claimed uh, to be the truth, the way and the truth. Well, I wasn't surprised uh, by, by the reading because I had come to anticipate that. But for some reason... I was especially annoyed because uh, the Jesus is the way and the truth was the primary focus of his sermon. And what I had hoped for was just a good eulogy, uh, you know, about, about my friend uh, who had died with no Christian proclamation. <clears throat> and only in retrospect, as I look back, I see that it was indeed, a, it was a very fine sermon as I look back on it because it was so full of hope and, and, and so full of uh, something to hold on to as we face our mortality. But as a skeptic, I was annoyed. And now I, I realize it was just the Holy Spirit uh, creating a disturbance uh, in my soul. And let me, let me just pause here as an aside. And, and it's not totally unrelated, I think, to, to the topic. But uh, it's, it's, not our, it's not 
uh, our tradition here at the Advent to, to eulogize so much. And we'll do it, of course, if the family wants it. We will certainly do it and incorporate that into the service. But it's the church's primary duty, or it's certainly my primary duty as a proclamation of the gospel when you get into the pulpit there is to raise our thoughts beyond the person who died, uh, beyond those who mourn, and certainly beyond uh, the preacher uh, to, to the objective Christian truth, something to hold on to, because at a time like a, a funeral, at a time when we're faced with immortality, our, our loss of someone we love and our own mortality, the shoe and certain prognosis of our own mortality, I, I just can't think of anything that we need more uh, than, than, than some solid ground uh, to stand on. I suspect that the, uh, the uh, inevitability of our death bothers us a lot more than, than, we, let, than we let on. Uh, and I, I, that's a time where we have an opportunity to really to talk about what is objectively true about Christianity. At any rate, <clears throat> I heard this clergyman talk about, you know, John 4, 16 as being the way and the truth of light, the way and the truth. And like almost every agnostic or every pluralist, every, every, every skeptic, Unitarian, I remember saying, well, what does he mean by, by this truth business? I mean, you know, well, whose truth? That's his truth, but it's not my truth. He's, he's defining what about the other guy's truth? And you hear this all, all the time. And I was taken back by the fact that, that he kept referencing uh, objective truth when it comes to religion and when it comes to God. And during this time in my life, I had lots of Christian friends. Uh, and as I look back, most of what they told me about Christianity dealt with the subjective side of Christianity. Uh, for instance, they say, uh, Frank, you know, uh, you're having a hard time struggling. If you would just come to Jesus and put Jesus in your heart, you'll experience uh, some peace. Put Jesus in your heart, and you'll find some joy. Uh, and I heard you know, several friends said, you know, I, my marriage has been on the rocks for a long time, and, you know, found that I've, I've, I've come to accept Jesus in my life, and I can't tell you, you know, it's my, my marriage is, is, is wonderful, and Jesus can make you well too. Uh, and what was my response? Or you might even ask yourself just a second, what would be your response uh, to that? Uh, I, I know I, I responded by saying, you know, I'm real happy. I'm, I'm happy for you. I'm glad you're better than you used to be. I'm thankful that Jesus straightened out your life. Uh, uh, and, and as long as Christianity makes you feel better, then I think I, I'm, I'm happy for you. I think that's what you should do. But I'm a different kind of bloke. For me, I get, I get, I get these. Sometimes I just need to, I just need to. to to leave and go backpacking. I need to get out into the mountains. So it's you know it could be backpacking for me. It could be yoga uh, for, for for this person over here. Uh, it may be uh, something else for this person over here. Maybe Dr. Phil or whatever. Uh, uh, it may be New Age uh, for you. But let's just quit all this talk about the truth because it just creates elitism and it, and it creates it creates uh, division. So uh, during, during these years, uh, I often challenge folks, you know, how, so how do you know, you say Jesus is truth, how do you know that Jesus is the truth? And there's another thing that we can think about. How, how would you answer that question? How, somebody comes to you and says, well, you talk about Jesus being uh, the truth. Uh, how, do you, how do you know that? Well, what I, huh? Did you say? Yeah, well, I, 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 yeah, that, that's 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 a good answer. The Bible tells me so. But I mean, like, 
who tells you the Bible is the truth? I mean, I've got a different book, you know, and I, I've got a different set of, I've got a different system of belief, a different set of beliefs, uh, but you get, you're getting warm there. Uh, but what I would hear uh, so much is, uh, you know, I don't know, I just do. And all I can say is I just do. And I was, you know, and, I, and my mother, I, 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 was, I was brought up in a Christian family, and my mother taught me uh, the Christian faith, and, and I always went to church with my parents. And you asked me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. You remember that song? You asked me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. And I would respond to that by saying, you know, wonderful, I'm glad. Uh, but that doesn't mean a thing to me. Uh, and I grew un- uneasy with what these people uh, were saying because all too often uh, their very loving testimony centered on some kind of felt need situation that they had that, that Jesus brought relief to. But it just required a kind of contrived transition to anything remotely resembling what we find in the New Testament and what we find with the earliest Christian sermons uh, that were preached. Y'all remember Craig Parton who came here doing Lent? He was a Lenten preacher. He was a lawyer from Santa Barbara, California. His book, one of his books is, is, is in the bookshelf. In fact, it's on, it's on my shelf uh, about uh, summer reading. I, I, I recommend that if you do get it, this def- the defense never rests. If you do read it, when you see the word Lutheran, the Lutheran church, just substitute in their classic Christianity. Because he is writing to Lutherans, uh, but just 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 uh, put classic Christianity in in, in there, uh, and you you come away with it. But the uh, subjective side of Christianity compared to the objective side of Christianity uh, was led him to an interest uh, a very, led him to a very interesting study in the legal defense of Christianity, and and he was uh, intrigued by how he could apply legal standards of evidence that he could use, be used to uh, defend the Christian faith. Uh, and uh, he, he uh, especially concerned the person in the ministry of Jesus Christ who was crucified in history by Pontius Pilate. Now, you remember, remember that... Uh, uh, do you all remember his... Who, who was, went to his lecture over at Advent at what used to be the Latimer House? Yeah. Were you not intrigued by that, how, how the legal defense of Christianity became the very thing that, that, that drove him with, with, with great passion? But I'm, I'm intrigued by, by the first Christian sermons ever preached. And, and also, as, as I just read a couple of verses from the Bible, please don't get me long, wrong here, because I'm not saying that the subjective side, what Jesus has meant to you personally, uh, is, 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 uh, is to me to be... Uh, I don't, I don't want to sound condescending toward that because it is an important part of the Christian faith. And before we leave here this morning, I'm going to make a case that both the objective and the subjective uh, uh, sides of Christianity both come together in the life of the Christian. But I do believe that, that, the, that the Christian life must first begin uh, our witness. Our, our, our faith must first rest on the objectivity of Christianity. So let, let, let me just read just a couple of verses here. These, these, this is the very first Christian sermon ever preached. This is right after Pentecost. Next Sunday is Pentecost. So this would, be, uh, this would be the reading that we will actually read in church on the Sunday after Pentecost. No, it won't either. That would be Trinity Sunday, on the Sunday after Trinity Sunday, where Peter stands up and he says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you, attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs, which God did through him in your midst, 
as you yourselves know, this Jesus was delivered up according to the, the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. He was crucified, and we killed him. But God has raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was impossible for him to be held by it. I say to you confidently that the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, David's tomb is here to this day. But this Jesus, God raised him up from his sepulcher. And of that we are witnesses. Uh, what, what Peter is saying there is, is something astounding uh, has happened uh, in that I want to tell you about. This is a, a, he, he's, it's a recital of facts. God, he was killed, God raised him up, and we are witnesses. I think it was, and I, and I mentioned this on Thursday morning with Sunrise Centers, that word witness, uh, mart martyria, is in the New Testament 137 times. Either witness or, or, or testimony or, or testify. And that's from the word that we get martyr, uh, the Christian martyr. But, t but Peter is saying, you know, he was killed on the cross. We put him in the grave. He was raised again and we saw him. This is the overall message again and again in these early sermons that, that we hear uh, that uh, that we hear the earliest Christians uh, preach. Now, my point is simply this: suppose these earliest sermons would have been something uh, like uh, uh, I want to tell you how much Jesus has meant to me. Uh, you know, I, I realize I'm a simple fisherman, and, and my buddies, we were going on about business, but we, we come to be enthralled by Jesus. We have listened to him to his teach, uh, and my life will never be the same. Uh, I, have, uh, I have grown from, I, have, I can't tell you how much I've grown. I can't tell you how much my life is. And I think that the response to that would be, Peter, you know, we've known you since you've been mending your nets. We're glad that you are turned on. You know, they thought he would, they thought they were, Right after Pentecost, they thought they were drunk. And, and they came to it, and, and, and Peter says, we're not drunk. Let me tell you what happened. You know, the reason why we act in this way uh, is because of something that happened, and that's what I want to tell you about. Uh, but, but the response would have been, if Peter would have said, uh, let me tell you how much Jesus has meant to me. Uh, I, I, I used to have a limp. I used to have arthritis, and now the arthritis is gone. Uh, then, I, you know, they would, they would be saying, well, I'm, you know, I'm glad that you were better. But, uh, but life is going okay for us, uh, and, and we're, we're doing just fine. Thank you so much. Uh, but no, they, they went around and they preached uh, about, about the facts. We saw him, he was dead, and now he is living. And you go back to the Easter bunny rabbit. You can vote, you can vote on the sex of rabbit, but the vote won't change the truth. Uh, and you can vote on whether Jesus was, was, was raised or not, but the vote won't change the truth. Uh, this is the objective uh, uh, Christianity, and that's why I gave out these little pamphlets on Easter morning, evidences uh, of Christianity, because what it deals with, he, he, the author of that was also written by a lawyer, uh, and it's called The Evidences of Christianity, uh, and you know the story behind that pamphlet, I think, Evidences of the, of the, of the Resurrection, and, and, and he set out to disprove Christianity, and he gathered up the facts, not, not only facts within the Bible, but what he could glean from Josephus, the first century historian, and some other uh, tidbits of first century history, and he put it all together, and he approached it like he was approaching a witness stand, and he said, hell, the evidence is, uh, 
if, if that of those who say that Jesus was raised, I want to. And he starts off. I want to propose to you that this is what happened. And he went through a, just a whole series of things that could have happened. And 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 in essence, the jury was saying, well, that doesn't make any sense. And one by one, they were defeated. And finally, the guy just threw up, and he and he said, I'm converted. And he was converted uh, to, to, uh, to to Christianity. But uh, the first. Sermons of Christianity didn't deal with psychology, uh, and it didn't matter what the temperament of the people, what the makeup of the people were. It didn't matter what, what, what was going on in their lives, the psychological makeup of the people, just simply uh, the facts. And I can honestly say that it was, the, it was this evidences of the resurrection that led to my own conversion. And I love what C.S. Lewis once wrote. <clears throat> if Christianity is untrue, then no honest man will want to believe it, however helpful it might be. If Christianity is true, every honest man will want to believe it, even if it gives him no help at all. That's pretty, I mean, that's, that kind of hits it on, on, on a nail on the head, doesn't it? So I have made this case, but let me repeat, have, have I said that the subjective side of Christianity is bad? Well, no, I haven't, but I do not believe that the subjective side of Christianity will convert many skeptic agnostics. Uh, subjective witness, witnessing is secondary to objective, the objectivity of Christianity, but heaven forbid that we shouldn't have a subjective side. The objectivity of our, my faith has to be wed to my subjectivity, or to put it another way, the objective truth needs to be married to uh, and wed to my subjective need, to my pain, to my struggles. Otherwise, the objective facts are just outside of me. It's theology uh, in a book out somewhere on a shelf. And that's why Jesus went on to say, I am the way and the truth and the life. It's a coming together of the objective and the subjective, the application of truth to where we really live and to what we're really experiencing. Because if the gospel is, is true, and ha if God has revealed himself in Jesus Christ, as the Bible uh, certainly says that it is, then this truth is not just a system of propositions grasped by intelligence, but, uh, it, but, but God is it's not an it. He is a personal, a personal being. And the only way you can know a personal being is just like you know any other person, and that is through relationships. Uh, he's revealed himself as a personal God who loves us, loves us dearly. And if we believe in him, if we trust in him, if we have faith in him, if we, if we cling to him, if we reach out to him like a drowning man reaches out to a life preserver, uh, then uh, he will be in our lives. So I, I just... Uh, I'm, I'm asking you to to look at the the great question is where do you fall on this polar where do you personally think you fall on this polarity between the objective side of Christianity and the subjective side of Christianity? I mean, you, it, it's it's always a good question I think to ask of that so because if if uh, you tend to be someone who basically believes the objective truth about God that has been given to us. Uh, but the question is, does it have a kind of personal reality? Is it really making a difference uh, in, in, in our lives? If you're such a person where your faith, as it were, doesn't have the power of God in your life, if that's the case, if your 
faith is based on objective truth, but nevertheless own the shell, then the question is, do you need to be, do you need to have that objective truth married to your heart? Do you need to, do you need to invite God into actual living quarters, into your subjective needs? That's one question. Uh, and then on the flip side of that, you could be someone who is more or less on the polarity between objective and the subjective, you may fall more over here on the subjective side. And what you, what, whatever you feel is what you believe to be true about God. You know people that way? What, what, whatever whatever your, your notion of God is, that is the subjective side, and you kind of follow that through the rest of your life. Uh, you could call it a spiritual journey if you wanted to, but and and that certainly isn't the right direction. But if you that way, if you tend to fall more on the subjective side, then w- you really need to have an objectivity uh, to an objective context. Uh, you need to to have your subjective uh, feeling of Christianity, your subjective understanding of Christianity, to be to have lock horns uh, into objective truth. A marriage between the objective and the subjective, between the givenness over here and the objective, the givenness and the objective side, uh, and the uh, the uh, personal pain over here, where the two can come together. I feel like I kind of struggled this morning. To be honest with you, the subject is a little. Uh, I thought it would be kind of easy, just kind of roll, just kind of roll, roll off. But I, I find myself struggling uh, to find the, uh, the exact way I want to articulate this. Is what I said made any sense at all? Has it? Well, let me hear what you think. I, I, am I wrong? Am I wrong to say that that the, the, the subjective, our subjectiveness, it, it must be wed with the, the sub. The objective must come first. If we're not if we're not right about the objective truth, then our subjectiveness, our feeling of Christianity. It's not based on anything but shifting sand. Our feelings and our experience of, of Jesus Christ and the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives, it must be, it must stand on objective truth. If it doesn't stand on objective truth, then you're going to be tossed around by, by most, most any and everything. On the other hand, if it's just objective, then, it, then it's, it's just facts tucked away in a, in a book and I'm, and I, I, my, my pain is not being addressed. That's what I've been trying to say for the last four minutes. <laughs> yes. We have a, a German daughter, and she's a profound Christian, and she's marrying a nice German boy who's an agnostic. And he's been through Lutheran confirmation before their wedding, but it hasn't touched his heart. I sent him Craig Parton's book. And when this German Ph.D. read the testimony of Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John, that they saw the Lord, they touched the Lord, they ate with the Lord, they testified this was a thing that made him accept Christianity. So for this young man, the objective was extremely important. Well, now, uh, you say Craig Parton's book played what role in that? Well, in the in the chapter when he gives the historical documentation of the of the writings of the four gospels and the legal how how profound they were, this is what touched his heart. I can only tell you, you know, I, I I'm 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 with you, David. I I uh, 
I just look back on my life and I struggle so much. And but it just I nothing grabbed me because I'm being redundant. All I heard was how much Jesus means to me, and I all I heard was faith alive kind of kind of witnessing. All I heard was which which is good. I, I but. If, if you're rooted, if you're standing on, on the objective, if you have an objective base, it can be a powerful weekend. But if you're standing on, if you're kind of wishy-washy anyway, it, it, it just won't grab you. And, and I, I, I had no objective context on which to build anything. And, I, and I, I'm, I'm just quite sure in my mind that a thinking kind of, uh, a guy who wants to do it up here in his mind, that that subjective witnessing, you know, you're going to make much difference. And you can be happy for people that they're better off. You know, I'm happy your marriage is better. I'm, I'm happy you don't drink anymore. I'm happy you got rid of this. And even physical healing. I mean, I'm happy that your that your disease is gone. But I mean, I I have a friend over here also who didn't get well and he's dead. So don't talk to me about this. You know, and and. Somebody holding a little baby. How can you hold a little baby and just not believe that God is love? I'd say, well, because I've held babies who were born blind. I've held babies who were retarded. I've held babies who died. And what, what do you mean? Now, where are you coming from? I'm saying that without that objective, something to stand on, it, it's just, it doesn't have the power. But on the other hand, you know, you can be just, uh, yeah, I believe. You can say the creed and believe it. And then if it hadn't, if it hadn't entered into your subjective need, then it's just kind of Christianity on the shelf, and we see that too. But I just will stand and insist that that it has to begin with objective, the objectivity of the faith. Craig Parton's book is really worth to read, guys. Just remember, one more time, my redundancy, Jane always tells me, you know, how's the class? It's going to be repeating yourself over and over again. So I just... I just, I just want to say that when you see the word Lutheran or Lutheran church, just, talk, just put in there classic Christianity, and it's really a, a good book. And so thank you, David, for that. I'm, that makes me that makes me happy, joyful. Frank, could you talk just for a moment on uh, the role of the Holy Spirit in all this? Well, I think I think it's I think for one thing, uh, no one can say Jesus is Lord without the Holy Spirit, and it's the Holy Spirit that, that brings us around. But at least for me, it was the Holy Spirit uh, that led me to objective truth, and it was the Holy Spirit that brought to my subjectivity because I was a hurting little puppy. But I mean, and, but my subjective witnessing—I didn't have any any objective thing to lock my pain into. But when but with the objective truth of Christianity, hey, he was risen from the dead. And there's no question about it. And when I came with grips with that, that this man actually stepped out of the grave, then my subjective need, instead of floating out here, I began to zero in on what the truth is. And I just know it was the work of the Holy Spirit that did that. So the Holy Spirit is active in everything. I think the Holy Spirit is active in, in creating the disturbance in my heart when I heard this funeral being preached, when I just got totally annoyed at this guy who had the audacity to get up there and tell me that Jesus is the way and the truth and the right. The way of truth of life. I mean, come on. I'd much rather hear some kind of pluralist, unitarian blabber that would, that, 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 that would, would, would not ultimately has no healing to it. My first sermon, Fifth Seminole Dallas, said, Frank, that was a very moving sermon, but it wasn't healing. And what he meant was it had no objective 
context to it. It was moving. You know, it was on Mother's Day. I think a lot of people were crying. Everybody. <laughs> oh yeah, but I mean, like he says, you come in with pain, you come in with guilt, you come in with hurt. So I mean, I'm glad you love your mother. That's wonderful. But I mean, I'm still hurting over here. And so that objective truth of who Jesus is and what happened on the cross and, w- and what he accomplished on the cross and then, and, and, and then the awareness that he stepped out of the grave, that was all the Holy Spirit. I, and I know if without the Holy Spirit working in my life, I, 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 would, I would still be, uh, well, I'm still messed up. I'm still, you know, I'm, I, I would still be hurt. I would still have, I would still have no hope. But even as a struggling old, old sinner, is running out of time, I do have hope. And I believe what I preached this morning. I know I'm going to heaven. I mean, because it's, it's right there. I was just going to say, I, I'm not certain, like in, I know people, particularly me, or in pastoral care, that objective precedes subjective. I think they both have to be there together yes, as you do. go. Yes, they do. But uh, for, for some folks, it's when you hit a trial. Yeah. And you've been going to church since you were a little kid. Yeah. And that you get through that trial. Uh-huh. And it's God who brings you through it. And you yeah. know that in your heart. But then you keep on going along and go, and you hit your next one. Yeah. And that's when your objectivity, you're like, okay, he's not going to make me feel good all the time. He's going to get me through things. But you start living into the objective part of it. Mm-hmm. You start looking at God set his set he set his sight on going to the cross. He said he was going there, he did it. You listen to what they witnessed after they saw him raised and that's when all of that hits home. And that's what it's about. And that's what grounds you. So then when you hit the next trial yeah. and the next trial right. and the next trial, yeah. you know that he's there. Yeah. And it's the objective married to the subjective. Absolutely. But I'm not certain in a case when somebody hasn't necessarily stru- struggled with atheism or agnosticism, uh-huh. but just life in general growing up in a Christian home, right. that subjective actually may precede objective. But that's just, that's my view. Could be. I know in pastoral care particularly that, that uh, uh, oh, it's Martin Luther, he, you know, he was really on, on pastoral care having an objective context so otherwise it's just a theology of presence you know I, I, I'll hold your hand and then we'll both die so but I'm here I'm kind of you know it's like someone told me a long time so I'm glad that you're here I'm glad that you care I'm glad that you, glad that you love me but I want my daughter back that's one thing when, when I when I uh, made my first pastoral visit and the guy's teenage daughter was killed in an accident and and the guy's said the pastor I was with puts his hand on his shoulder and says, Helen, I want you to know, I want you to know that God had nothing to do with this. Okay, that's a different sermon. Uh, uh, well, isn't that sad? Anyway, but I want you to know that we are here. We're here for you. And 30 seconds later, she said, well, I don't give a damn that you're here for me. I want my daughter back. You see, that was subjective, that was subjective love without an objective base. And, you know, as Martha said to Lazarus, Lord, if you had only been here, then our brother would not be dead. So Jesus says, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Do you believe this? That he goes straight for the jugular there. So let, let, let's first of all establish who I am. And, and, but you know what I mean. I mean, I, I, 
without that objectivity, it just, it's just loose and flimsy. I, but you're absolutely right. So what you're saying is that the subjective need can drive you to, to search for some objective truth. Yeah. Well, well I, 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 yeah, once you introduce your guest there to, uh, also, that, that would be good. This is, I want you all to meet Katie. She's a seminarian who's going to be living at the Advent House. Um, she is just finished her first year up at Virginia. And so she's going to be doing her clinical pastoral education at UAB. And so she's just, she'll be here with us for 12 weeks. Hi, good morning. <laughs> uh, so I just wanted to respond to this topic. And I think that um, suffering doesn't, as you're saying, suffering does not always bring closeness with God. Suffering can often bring resentment and anger and loneliness and a sense of abandonment by God. And so I think as Christians, it's important that we as Christians often experience that ourselves. And um, it's not always uh, that when you say God is love, you, I think that we have to ask ourselves, well, then what is love? And if suffering exists in the midst of God and the objective truth is the events of Jesus Christ's life, then that objectivity of the events in Christ's life is what shines truth on what it means to suffer and what sacrifice means in that and self-donation and that the virtues of love explain the, the objective truth. And then that's what, that's what gives concreteness to subjectivity. Um, w without the objectivity of Christ's life, um, the virtues of love are light and empty. Mm -hmm. um, and the concreteness, the concreteness is what gives weight to the subjectivity, to echo what you're trying to say. Yes, indeed. Thank you. Thank you very much. Welcome Michael Seminary. Uh, Frank, I, for, for myself, which I guess flip the switch for me was St. Paul's letter late in his ministry to Timothy where he, I guess you'd say, confessed that he was the chief of sinners. And I think for all of us, unless you are, I see that as objective, some might see that as a subjective look at yourself, but objectively he saw himself as the chief of sinners. And I think until you honestly, objectively look at yourself <coughs> And where your suffering's coming from, whether it's your sin or the sin of the world, that you don't need a savior. That you know, I can get by, or this this won't won't last but so long, and I'll muddle through it. But to honestly understand that we need a savior is well, a poor doctrine of sin or flimsy doctrine of sin will always will always distort the Christian truth. I mean, that that's opens the door to all kinds of Bad theology. Well, I just, again, read through the earliest sermons uh, and to see how, how they go to the jugular. It's, you know, he was dead. He was truly about as dead as you can get. He was just as dead like the guy I mentioned in Easter when his mother was dead. I said, you know, Jesus was just this dead. And he looked at me and smiled, so he was just that dead. But then he's alive and, and, and people saw him as with him. And, and, and that becomes the... That becomes the, the foundation on which all the earliest teachings, all the earliest sermons were built. And on, from there, uh, it, it, they understood Good Friday 
and begin to understand what, what, what happened on the cross. But, so very good. Gosh, Jesus, I thought it would be a piece of cake. Nevertheless, <laughs> I'm going to go back and vest uh, and do another uh, service. So let us go forth into the world rejoicing in the power of the Spirit. Thanks be to God.